1: Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound
2: On have
3: to have this debate in congress about whether we should be in
1: places like afghanistan this
2: television has changed we've got to hold them accountable we'll see how they govern bloomberg sound on
4: politics policy and
2: perspective from
4: dc's top
2: names
5: the infrastructure bill will create jobs that we desperately need in this country good paying jobs we need to go all out to a green renewable economy and all of the infrastructure to make that happen bloomberg
1: sound on with joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The last plane is wheels up. America is out of Afghanistan, as announced a short time ago by the Pentagon. The FAA says effective immediately. Hamid Karzai Airport is uncontrolled. A 20-year effort over. And an ending punctuated by the Taliban taking control of the country, the U.S. conducting what was possibly the largest airlift in human history. This hour, we will speak with retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, former Assistant Secretary of State for Political Military Affairs, former Assistant Secretary of Defense for Middle East Affairs. Also, Bloomberg Washington Bureau Chief Craig Gordon will be with us. He was an embedded reporter in Afghanistan and, of course, has covered the White House since. And we'll get insights from the panel. Glad to say we have both Jeannie, she, and Zeno and Rick Davis on this historic day. It is now past midnight in Kabul, which makes it August 31st in Afghanistan. And the last American aircraft is out, as we just heard from CENTCOM Commander Marine Corps General Kenneth McKenzie.
5: I'm here to announce the completion of our withdrawal from Afghanistan and the end of the military mission to evacuate American citizens, third country nationals, and vulnerable Afghans. The last C-17 lifted off from Hamad Karzai International Airport on August 30th this afternoon at 3.29 p.m. East Coast time. And the last manned aircraft is now clearing the airspace above Afghanistan.
1: The last aircraft over the horizon, gone from H. Kaya. And we are now, I should note, standing by to hear from the Secretary of State. Anthony Blinken will hold a news conference at any time now. They just wrapped the briefing at the Pentagon, so when he speaks, we will join him. And glad to say that we are now joined once again by retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett. It's great to have you back, General. We've been talking about this in the run up to the final evacuation here, and it appears it has happened. 79,000 civilians evacuated with the help of the United States military, including 6,000 Americans. This indeed was likely an historic airlift in its size and scale. General, as you look back over the past 20 years, how would you describe the war effort?
3: Well. I think it's the last 20 days that uh, is sort of encapsulated for me. We went in for the right reasons in 9-11. We had to take the fight to the enemy. We had to go after al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. My problem is we sort of, once we finished that, we got into this whole business of nation building. And unfortunately, you can't build a nation in the space of a couple of years. So we got ourselves to the point where everybody was in agreement that we needed to withdraw. But nobody was uh, in agreement that we should do this in such a shameful way as we've done over the past 20 days.
1: Well, shameful is a tough word to be using as the final Americans leave Afghanistan. We can note, however, that this mission, this mission to evacuate, which involved five to 6,000 Marines and other troops, was itself, in itself a success, no?
3: Well, that's true, but let me be very clear why I said shameful, because the last Americans did not leave Hamid Karzai Airport. We have left Americans behind. We have left Afghans who worked side by side with us on the battlefield behind. We've left the Taliban in charge, and we've left terrorism inside the country. So that's shameful.
1: Well, you said a lot there. Uh, let's talk about the Americans still there. the The, the administration says about two hundred and fifty people. Many of them did not leave uh, on their own accord. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, describing why today
6: part of the challenge uh with fixing a precise numbers that there are a long-time residents of afghanistan as we've talked about in here with american passports dual citizens the vast majority who are determined who are still trying to determine if they want to leave or not or have been over the last couple of days in some instances in many instances that's because they have many family members there but they have a range of reasons and we've been working with them to assess that
1: general for whatever reason an american decided to stay in afghanistan Do you believe what the White House is telling us, and the Pentagon for that matter, that we will still be able to get them out, that there will be a path for their own evacuation? Or do you doubt that based on what you know of the Taliban?
3: Well, anybody that believes that the Taliban are going to live up to their commitments uh, hasn't been watching the Taliban since they signed the agreement in February of 2020. Uh, They have broken almost every commitment they've made and they continue to break those commitments. They are saying they're going to have a inclusive representative government. I think we can be sure that's not going to happen. Uh, they say we're going to allow women to go to school, but then they uh, say, well, within accordance with Sharia law, and in their interpretation of Sharia law, that means no. So I think that uh, we have tried to hope for the best out of the Taliban. But I also believe that personally, I believe we need to prepare for the worst. I think they're going to go back to their pre-9-11 Taliban days.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, if 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 you doubt Americans getting out at this point, surely you don't believe that our Afghan allies have a chance. Is that fair to say?
3: Well, they've been directed to start taking overland routes and the quickest way out of the country is either to Pakistan, who has closed the border or north to the Mazar-Sharif to Uzbekistan, and the Taliban control those borders. So I just don't know how that's going to happen. I think it will, in many cases, not large number, but in certain numbers, it's going to require Americans going back in for special operations missions to get these people out.
1: So that is the mission now. It's going to be so-called over-the-horizon special ops. And based on what we've seen, General, these past couple days, these could be busy uh, airmen, Marines, soldiers, sailors, whomever's involved.
3: Well, we'll see. First, we have to find these people. Jen's not wrong. There are probably some Americans that re- decided to remain behind because they couldn't get all of their family members behind uh, out of there. And that's understandable. But I think there's still a significant amount of uh, interpreters that we've worked with that we will want to get out, that the veterans community will demand that we get out. And uh, so we'll have to see what happens. The other thing that is going to be over the horizon is clearly, Despite the Biden promise to end the drone wars, I think we're going to start seeing the drone wars pick up again significantly because uh, Afghanistan is now going to be a sanctuary and safe haven for terrorist groups beyond ISIS-K. And we've already started to conduct the drone wars against those guys. And if we want to keep uh, al-Qaeda-type groups from reforming, retraining, and starting operations again from Afghanistan, we can't sit back and watch that happen.
1: Do you worry for the safety of those Americans and our Afghan allies, for that matter, on, on this list that the U.S. reportedly gave the Taliban? There are There is some debate about how much information was on that list, but to think that, that names and passports are going around has made some people very uncomfortable.
3: Well, it's really a moot issue because the Taliban were able to, to – capture the biometric data systems that we had used for years and years to get bi- biometric data for anybody that was working for the Americans. So they not only have what has been provided to them by the Americans, but they've got the biometric data that was held inside the, the data machine, uh, the databases. So there's going to be a lot of information. And this will be the first test of the Taliban uh, when we start hearing what is happening to the people that we've left behind We're going to find out if this, in fact, is Taliban 2.0, the kinder, gentler Taliban, or if this is the same Taliban we went in uh, against in in 9-11.
1: We're talking with retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett on the Monday edition of Bloomberg Sound On, and we are waiting to hear from the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. Uh, We now see the podium set up and prepared for his remarks whenever he does speak. In, In the Pentagon briefing today, General, we heard from from general ken mckenzie about demilitarizing uh the hardware that was left the the anti-missile systems the aircraft that were left on the field in cobbled he says those planes will never fly again and the many uh uh, vehicles we had were disabled as well but there's american military equipment much of it brand new scattered around the country right we've seen lists of helicopters tanks guns uh, night vision goggles and so on what happens to all of that equipment and is it to be used against us?
3: Well, Kim McKenzie is right. We're going to be able to demilitarize the tanks, the helicopters, and the aircraft. But you're also right that there, is, there are hundreds of thousands of other pieces of lethal equipment that was left behind. And uh, it doesn't really matter because a terrorist is not going to be driving a tank into Washington, D.C., He's going to be using material that he gets from what we've left behind, the small arms, the weapons. So it's great we're going to demilitarize the tanks because I guess we're worried about tank battles between Tajikistan and the <laughs> Taliban. But uh, um, I'm more worried about those small arms and machine guns that will be used as tools of repression by the Taliban against the citizens of Afghanistan.
1: Point taken uh, on that. Uh, I wonder. What is the legacy of this effort in your mind, General, or is it going to take time for that book to be written? This war has taken so many turns. Those fighting it, in some cases, weren't even alive uh, for nine eleven.
3: Yeah, I think the legacy is uh, we gave it a chance, right? and I think that's the best we can say. We gave the chance to Afghanistan and their people to, as a famous general once said to me, go from the 15th century and rush headlong into the 16th century. But we made advances and the society made advances in women's rights, human rights, uh, education, uh, standard of living. And the important thing to see is uh, that hopefully I'm absolutely wrong. Hopefully uh, the Taliban will take all of those uh, advances that have been made over the past 20 years and uh, continue to build on those. I don't expect that to happen.
1: Retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, thanks for being back with us and for all of your time, most recently on Bloomberg, as we've sought some of the best minds to help us understand what's going on. That, of course, includes our panel. And we have our classic sound on panel today. Rick and Jeannie are with us, Bloomberg politics contributors Jeannie, Shee, and Zeno, and Rick Davis, on what I was calling an historic day. And I'm sticking with that as we wait to hear from the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. What's going through your mind right now, Jeannie, as you consider the politics surrounding all of this? There's a big job here for the Secretary of State speaking to a nation waiting for some rationale for what they've seen these past days.
0: There is. And, you know, I think what's going through my mind is you just, you know, I'm about to start a semester with young people whom weren't alive when this war started. Um, and as we've been talking about, so many of the soldiers killed there the other day were infants uh, on 9-11 and when this war started, if that. And you look at the um, number of years and the number, the cost from the human cost and all the tragedy. And in my mind, there's you know two questions. The, the more immediate one we've been talking about is what went wrong with this withdrawal. But I think the bigger question here has to do with our strategy in Afghanistan going back to George W. Bush, which I believe was terribly, terribly flawed. And so those are things that as a country we're going to have to grapple with. So hopefully... We identify those flaws and we don't do this again, either in Afghanistan or somewhere else, as we hear a lot of people on the left and the right say, we're never going to get out of here. We're going to be back there. Um, We've got to make sure we understand what went wrong in the long term and in the last withdrawal and how we can avoid this again, because it has been disastrous from almost any sort of way that you can look at it.
1: Four presidents, Rick Davis. You visited Afghanistan, I know, on many occasions over the course of various administrations. As you watch this last airplane leave, though, you hear the generals talking about it. We're about to hear from the secretary of state. I know there's a lot to criticize, and we've spent a good deal of time hearing that criticism. But is there any sense of relief for you to sit back and say 20 years later it's over?
2: the only relief i get is the relief that um our service people today will not be in harm's way they won't be victims of isis k Uh, but it's a it's a pretty sad moment for me because you know it's kind of a culmination of all the bad decisions that have been made over those four presidencies that have led us to this retreat and leaving the population of afghanistan in the hands of terrorists Um, uh, i think general mckenzie Uh, in the CENTCOM commander in his briefing just now um, made the point about this sort of practical relationship they developed with the Taliban. But uh, I want to hear from this administration of their views about a, a rogue regime, the Taliban, who have been sworn enemies of ours and killed lots of our service members. Uh, over the last 20 years and and what our expectations are for them. Because uh, it's not good enough to say, well, they guarded a gate and also denied access to American passport holders to think somehow they were cooperative.
1: Well, what are you looking to hear from the administration? The next voice we will hear from is the Secretary of State. Uh, There's no word, no expectation that we'll hear from Joe Biden tonight. This could be the last word before everyone goes to bed, knowing that we have left Afghanistan. What does he need to say?
2: Well, and that's what's shocking to me, Joe, is the point you just made about the person we're going to hear from on the day of our retreat out of Afghanistan is going to be the secretary of state. Uh, Joe Biden said when this process started that he owns it and he owns this day. And this day, I know is full of crises, uh, you know, the horrible conditions that people are in right now and the path of Ida, uh, the the challenges we have uh, fighting COVID. uh, But, he owns this retreat and it's unbelievable to me that he does not use this moment in history to define it and to talk about what his objectives are and how he sees the continuing efforts on behalf of this administration to secure women and girls american passport holders sivs in a country that we've now left completely to the taliban and the idea That General McKenzie and the Secretary of State are the ones who are defining this for us is, I think, a huge mistake by this administration.
1: Who's making these decisions, uh, Jeannie? This goes back to the communications shop. Is this coming from a White House that does not want this president's image in a split screen today?
0: Uh, they absolutely don't they they wanted this to uh, go much differently as we know they wanted to refocus attention both in foreign policy and domestic policy on other things he wanted to fulfill this promise and he wanted to do it as quietly as possible but I agree with Rick completely this is an enormous mistake for the president not to come out today and to talk about this he is the president he must own this and for the Secretary of State to come out we are not going apparently unless they change their mind we're not going to hear from the president who is responsible to tell us what we are going to do going forward to ensure that we secure the American and allies who are American lives and allies who are over there that we protect ourselves should there be terrorist attacks as as you were just talking to General McKenzie about you know how are we going to ensure against what is looking like it is going to be just you know a sprouting up of terrorism over there how are we going to protect ourselves and our allies what is their vision of doing that that should come from the president and so you know yes the secretary of state and is important but the president needs to come out on this but i I don't see it happening i don't think he wants to answer these questions
1: Uh, Jen Psaki did speak today at the White House briefing as we heard uh, her voice just a moment ago. A lot of talk about mitigating, and this is this echoes the talking points we heard from Jake Sullivan on the Sunday shows. Mitigating, not eliminating risk. Here's the press secretary today.
6: Well, we had with respect to the Kabul airport, we, of course, had been warning about for days, uh, which was the potential for the rising threats, the rising threats from uh, ISIS-K uh, Uh, that such an attack could take place and could take place at any moment in time. What we can do and what our commanders on the ground do, who have access to all this information as well, is mitigate risks. We can't eliminate risk.
1: We're going to hear that again. And to that end, I just saw uh, the Secretary of State's script dropped on the podium here, so we might be getting closer. What does that tell both of you? Rick, when you hear talking points like that repeated by multiple officials out of the administration, that's a warning, right, that we can't really guarantee uh, what's going to happen from here if if terrorism is based in Afghanistan or if Americans are targeted once again?
2: Yeah, I mean this is spin, right? And and this administration is trying to put um, uh, as we used to say, lipstick on a pig. Uh, they're trying to spin their way into saying, "Oh, look, it we got you know 120,000 people out, you know we did this, you know in the best way we could. Sure, we've left people behind, but and then they have no explanation for that. So they have to keep focused on. What they were able to accomplish and, and put the most positive spin on it but there are going to be investigations there's going to be a long list of of issues that need to be determined uh, both at the military and at the state department level as to what went wrong and how many times this administration made decisions that turned out to be the wrong way and so i think we are just entering the post afghanistan period we know that other organizations are going to be looking at drone strikes we did uh, I thought that uh, uh, General uh, Mark Kimmett, who you just interviewed, made an incredibly good point about the fact that uh, this president, Joe Biden, has been uh, campaigning against using drones as a weapon of war and attacking uh, 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 terrorists with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet the first things that he uses as, 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 as weapons of, of retreat uh, were to use those same drones to attack the ISIS-K. Uh, I can't imagine a scenario where that does not continue uh, in order to ensure the safety of our Americans. So we're just beginning a new phase. It's the post combat phase, but it will occupy space in all of our minds and yeah. on all of our uh, uh, papers uh, for some time to come. Mitigate, not eliminate,
1: Jeannie. Is it another way of saying the terrorists only need to be right once? We need to be right every time.
0: That's right. And, and, you know, the Biden administration has a real, real challenge on their hands because, you know, the danger here would be he becomes Jimmy Carter in 79 and, and into 80 with the prisoners and America ends up looking weak and you know we've left the country in the hands of the taliban we see this fomenting of terrorism our allies are frustrated we've got people within the military frustrated we you know it's hard to see how we don't look weak as a result of this and that will become even more of a problem if we see the united states engaged in massive drone attacks over there that was a big challenge for President Obama as well. And if we see any form of terrorist attacks around the world, and we see women and children and others suffering over there, because we went in this mess we are leaving, and Joe Biden, he didn't start this, but he certainly owns it as he leaves. And that's why this is such a fraught situation for them. And I was somebody told me the other day and I looked back on it. It was The New York Times a couple weeks before the election when Reagan beat Carter, who described America by that point as diminished and weak. And that really had an impact on the election. And, you know, Joe Biden has to be very, very concerned, as do Democrats, that this is how this turns out for them. Well,
1: some tough ideas here. Uh, I'll tell you, as the United States military leaves Afghanistan, if you're just joining us on Bloomberg Radio, it's done. Headline on the terminal U.S. troops eg- exit Afghanistan after 20 year military presence. America's longest war ends with massive final week evacuation. Jennifer Epstein, Tony Capaccio at the Pentagon sharing that byline from the White House and the Pentagon. The U.S. officially ending. It's military presence Tuesday with the final flight out of Kabul. I believe General McKenzie said it was at 3.29 p.m. Eastern time, Wall Street time, as we like to say here on Bloomberg. And we're joined by the panel. Rick and Jeannie are with us, and it's a good thing on a day like this. The FAA issued an alert that says effective immediately. The airport is uncontrolled. Rick, is this the beginning, as you say, of uh, of the post-war period here in Afghanistan which will be uh, featured uh, by lawlessness. How does the Taliban run an international airport? There were talk uh, people talking about going back into Bagram, for instance, uh, and it, that does not appear likely at this point. If we were to attack, it would have to be a drone or a cruise missile or something like that, correct? We will not have people on the ground.
2: Well, we have uh, enormous uh, capability, you know, with helicopters and V-22s to come in, land, and go out. Uh, and that that won't be diminished by any of this. Uh, I would say the most startling aspect, I thought, of uh, General McKenzie's uh, briefing to the uh, press just now uh, was the fact that uh, – He made a very clear distinction that they left the airport, they did not turn it over to the Taliban, and that uh, there was no sort of ceremony or handing over the keys to the control tower. So I think you're right. I think you point out a very important aspect. There is absolutely no indication that the Taliban can manage a country, the city of Kabul, or the airport itself. And so we're going to see what potentially could be a train wreck in that country, uh, which could result in a lot of humanitarian issues that uh, the the world is just bracing for right now uh, when you look at the responses from all our allies around the world.
1: Yeah, when you cut off uh, the, the one route to leave the country uh, with any speed, Jeannie, that does create a new issue. I mean, we don't have an aircraft control mechanism there to take over.
0: That's right, and and you know, let's be clear, we didn't leave the Taliban in control as a government. They have not formed a government. We left a terrorist network in a capital They may want to form a government that government hasn't been formed and you look at basic things that people need as we think about the humanitarian disaster over there to live in the modern world things like access to credit cards things like the ability to you know have identification there is no government there and when there is no government we can be sure that there will be there is a power vacuum that will be filled and it is likely to be filled by some very, very dangerous groups over there. So that is what is going on and that is what we've left. And I am curious to hear as we wait for the Secretary of State, how the United States responds to that and what we do when some other countries, countries like Russia and and China and, and others are going to recognize the Taliban. How do we handle this and what do we do in a world in which cameras and all these things send us pictures so readily when these pictures of a humanitarian crisis start to come here. That's something that we didn't have in 79 or certainly, you know, earlier, but we have it now, so the American public is going to be seeing this live and that's very, very difficult for the, our government to manage.
1: Jeanne Sheehanzino, Rick Davis, they'll be back with us a little bit later on this hour and hope we have a chance to dissect some of the Secretary's remarks. We'll
2: bring
1: them to you as soon as he speaks. As we're joined now in our Washington studio by Craig Gordon, Bloomberg's Washington bureau chief, who spent a lot of time covering, of course, the war. He was an embedded reporter in Afghanistan and has spent many years covering the the White House and certainly this administration. Craig, it's great to see you on this day. I wonder... What your thoughts are as we head for this address from the Secretary of State and the decisions that have been made to communicate this through the Pentagon, through the State Department, as opposed to, you know, an Oval Office address, something more uh, more traditional by the commander in chief himself. Is this an effort to remove him or or share, if you will, imply some sort of shared decision making across the administration?
4: Yeah, look, there's no. No two ways about it. This is a bad day for Joe Biden. Um, Americans, you know, don't always focus on places like Afghanistan. But on a day like today, when it's pretty clear we're pulling up, um, you can call it whatever you want, a retreat, a tactical retreat, whatever. We were there fighting a war against people that 20 years ago after 9-11 were identified as the bad guys, the Taliban, hosted al-Qaeda all those years. Um, and now we're leaving the country to them. So there's sort of no no good way to spend this really for Joe Biden and honestly, this is one of those days when you have a Tony Blinken or a, a General McKenzie and, and they are your heat shield. You know, they are your blast shield and you send them out out to take it. I do think Biden spoke pretty, you know, pretty passionately about this topic just a, just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. I we were told we're probably going to hear from him again this week. But on this day, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that people uh, in charge of communications, at the White House don't really want Joe Biden's face on every uh, six o'clock news program. Uh, right next to the pictures of America retreating. Yeah.
1: Not that the Secretary of State is some low-ranking official. What will Anthony Blinken uh, have to say today? Does he keep this tight? Is this is this explaining what's just gone on in the last week or two, or retracing the last 20 years, Craig?
4: I think it's going to stay stay pretty tight. Um, most everybody knows the history by now. Uh, why the United States was there, and now why why the United States is leaving. I think McKenzie, actually, uh, General McKenzie, actually did a pretty good job of, uh, if people are sort of paying attention and not just the headlines. Of America pulls out, that you know the numbers he cited: 123,000 civilians getting out, uh, 1,500 Afghan, you know, allies just on the on the last few flights before the uh, before the U.S. left. Um, that that is the tiny, tiny silver lining in in all this. I, I personally think that. You know, part of the reason Biden was was taking so much heat for this a week ago, ten days ago, was that it felt like they were never going to get all these Americans out and never going to get these Afghan allies out. And it turns out they actually did, did a half decent job of that. Mackenzie um, acknowledges there are still a few hundred Americans on the ground there um, that still, you know, still are there. So there's a few folks to be pulled out. But I think that the, they have at least a little bit of a story to tell. We we told you this was going to be dangerous. We told you there were going to be attacks. Thirteen Americans are dead. Nothing can change that, but we did manage to to get a lot of people out that we tried to get out, and and that's not nothing. So they don't have much to work with, but they do have some some positive news on on the, getting some of the Americans and uh, Afghan civilians out, and that's sort of all they've got to work with today. You went
1: there as a reporter, Craig, uh, an embedded reporter in Afghanistan. And I don't want to have you or uh, ask you to relive all of that on the air here, but I wonder what your thoughts are on covering Afghanistan now that the U.S. military is out. What will this be like for journalists? Are we going to have any idea what's going on on the ground?
4: I mean, look, the ugly truth is that once the American troops are out, once the American military presence ended, which you know just did some ninety minutes ago. Americans are going to not pay as much attention. Um, you know, I, I think we we spoke um, a few days before the, the horrible bombing that killed those Americans. And, yeah. and we talked about the idea that, you know, Biden can kind of weather this as long as there aren't, you know, dead American soldiers, dead American Marines. And of course, now there were, there were there 13 we of them. But, you know, I do think once the U.S. military presence is gone, pe- people are going to look away a little bit. Um I think one of the Biden has to survive a couple of important milestones. One is obviously the 20th anniversary of 9-11 coming up, what, 12 days from now. Um, that that's you know, we're all going to be reminded of, of why the United States went in. Um, we all know the United States left and the people we were trying to get rid of are, are now in power. So that's a That's a pretty rough way to not, not too much you can do to spin that. I think the other thing that Joe Biden needs right now is the Taliban to behave themselves um, and to be kind of blunt. Um, If we start seeing executions in soccer stadiums, if we start seeing them blowing up, you know, monuments like they did when, you know, when they first sort of came to the world's attention um, and and it sort of reminds Americans of what we have left behind there and what who is in power there, that will also be very, very difficult for Biden to kind of square um, as he tries to tell the story of this. You know, a lot of talk about the Taliban, you know, a, a relationship of necessity and they were practical and pragmatic and all that. I mean, look, you know, we all we all kind of probably know who they are. But I do think every day after today that there there aren't horrible abuses happening, you know, on live, live on the six o'clock news every night mm-hmm. um, is going to help Biden sort of get past this and help the United States. People in the United States kind of look away from a place they weren't really looking at all that much before about three weeks ago. Yeah, People
1: have awfully short memories. It's really true. Uh, I guess. Lastly, Craig, uh, you're a journalist. You're a storyteller. You've talked to a lot of people about the war in Afghanistan and the way it is now well, it has ended. And the voices that we've been hearing today, certainly over the last half hour, have been very personal. You hear from Rick and Jeannie, you hear from General Kemet, so many others that we talked to earlier on Balance of Power. This is personal for people. And I wonder how long it's going to take uh, before we have some real perspective on what happened.
4: Yeah, I mean, it. It. You know, again, I, I won't uh, I won't tell all my war stories, which are very brief and uh, and minuscule in comp- comparison to most people's. But I will tell you the the thing that I remember from my trip there was the bravery of the Marines. Twenty year old Marines. They were basically told yeah. to dig a hole, you know, five hundred yards out from the main base and sleep there until the the general told them to stop. And that was already weeks at a time by the time I'd been there, and weeks more to come. So you cannot come away from this with anything other than admiration for the for the fighting men and women that we sent in there. Um, but as you said, memories memories are short. Um, people are looking at New Orleans right now. I think Joe Biden's got another test he's got to get through this That's week. Right. And there'll be another one after that and another one after that and another one after that. I do think for most Americans who've never set foot in Afghanistan, blessedly never had a soldier or, or a person they had to send there, it will fade fairly quickly. But anyone who was touched by the country, it's not going away anytime soon.
1: We're proud to call him our bureau chief here in Washington. That's Bloomberg's Craig Gordon. I really appreciate you coming by, Craig. Sure thing. Here on Bloomberg Sound On, I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. As we wait to hear from the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, you will hear his remarks live as they are delivered and appreciate your being with us on the Monday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. Thank you for joining us as we broadcast live from Washington in anticipation of a speech from the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. We're told we'll speak imminently, but they were saying that 35 minutes ago. And it's, of course, unclear always in these moments, whether it's the the Commander-in-Chief, the Secretary of State are on down. What is going on behind closed doors? We are looking at an image of an empty podium there at the State Department. They did appear to drop a script on that podium, but unclear exactly what is happening or slowing down this address when he speaks. We will, of course, bring you that address live. If you're just joining us, we have breaking news. It was only two hours ago, Wall Street time, that the last U.S. aircraft was wheels up in Kabul. We are
5: out. We will soon release a photo of the last C-17 departing Afghanistan with Major General Chris Donahue and the U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan, Ross Wilson aboard. While the military evacuation is complete, the diplomatic mission to ensure additional U.S. citizens and eligible Afghans who want to leave continues. And I know that you have heard, and I know that you're going to hear more about that from the State Department shortly.
1: It's General Ken McKenzie in the Pentagon briefing that made all of this official. A short time ago, we are now understanding, learning from the State Department, that Antony Blinken will not likely speak for another 20 minutes or so. They have moved his address to 6 p.m. Wall Street time, which gives us an opportunity to speak with Congressman Garamendi. John Garamendi of California sits on the Armed Services Committee, and I believe the last time we spoke it was infrastructure, Congressman. Welcome back. You're certainly... Uh, In some very important committee assignments here as well, the subcommittee on readiness, as you see that last airplane fly out of Kabul, what is on your mind today? We've heard words going from shameful to wrong. Is there any relief in this moment at the end of a 20-year war?
7: I think it's a time for us to uh, consider the uh, historic and really the historic nature of this uh, evacuation And the 20 years of um, effort that went before it, Uh, our minds are just reeling with the thoughts of the, I don't know, the the people we knew that died or badly injured. I I remember getting off an airplane in Sacramento, coming back from Washington, God, it had to be nine years ago, and they were holding us up, not able to get off. I looked out the window, and there was a coffin flag-draped coffin. When I did get off, I asked, what was that about? And they said she was killed in Afghanistan. We all have these memories. And certainly the uh, men and women that fought there bravely, uh, carrying out their responsibilities, carrying out their duty of service to this country, uh, you know, in the trenches, as was said just before I got on. But then, I think about the meetings that I was in over the years, every six months, uh, the commanding general or CENTCOM commander would come in and brief us, and it was always the same. We're going to win this. We're going to win this. We need more time. We need more, mo- more money. And uh, there was a time when they wanted more troops. I-, I kept asking, but what is this all about? What is our goal? What are we trying to do? Well, it's bin Laden. Well, we killed bin Laden seven years ago. and so. I think, yeah, I've got a lot of memories. And I'm sure that the men and women that fought there, the uh, contractors, the State Department, the volunteers, the nonprofit NGOs that were there, you know, they're all going back in their memory, thinking about what they did. And I want them to have this firmly in their mind, that they did well. They did the very, very best they could, whether they were an NGO training women. Uh, in uh, schools there, uh, or whether they were a Red Cross volunteer, whatever. They did very, very well, from the soldiers uh, to uh, the contractors and on. But, and here's the big capital B-U-T, but, for what purpose? And as we look back, we're going to have a very, very difficult time trying to make sense of the last decade of this 20-year war. And maybe even the last eighteen years of this twenty-year war, um, a you lot of policy mistakes were made.
1: Yeah, well, they were going to have time to review them, I'm sure. And your committee is going to be, I'm sure, partly in charge of that. But if you ask the president, I think he would tell you by, that we did win. That we the war was won. Maybe we stayed too long. Is that the final analysis? Well, presumably, you always start a
7: war with a purpose. What are we doing here? What is the purpose of this war? And the purpose at that time, 2001, 9-11, was to get bin Laden and to rid Afghanistan as a place for um, bin Laden to al-Qaeda to uh, persist and exist. And we succeeded at that, actually succeeded at that within, uh, within six, seven months. And then we went astray. Uh, We left uh, most of the military, most of the effort, most of the attention, left Afghanistan and went to Iraq as uh, George W. Bush decided that uh, there was some horrible danger in Iraq, that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction and on and on and on. And we were basically absent from the field in Afghanistan for five, six, seven years, and the Taliban reemerged during that period of time. Al Qaeda did not. We continued to go after them. And during that period of time, and as I said, about seven years ago, we did finally capture bin Laden. But what went wrong was the notion that we could build a modern Western democracy in Afghanistan, a country that never had anything like a Western democracy and was with very significant tribal differences, differences of religious, Shia, and Sunni, uh, and uh, northern tribes that ethnically different than the southern tribes of Pashtuns. So we never accepted or understood or calculated the great divisions that have always existed in that country while we were trying to build a national government, not taking into account these uh, regional uh, differences. The result was that we never established a Viable central government, mm-hmm. and probably never could, not in the way we not in the way we attempted to do it. And so, when the Taliban, as uh, following uh, Trump's announcement and uh, negotiations with the Taliban and the deal that he cut with the Taliban and signed with the Taliban, that America would be out of there on May first, 2021, some five months ago, um, the Taliban simply began to overtake the various provincial capitals and eventually uh, surrounded or came to uh, Kabul. I don't even think they surrounded, probably had a thousand people. And that's the government that we had set up for 20 years, just simply disappeared. Ghani got on a plane, probably with uh, suitcases full of American uh, $100 bills and went to Dubai or Qatar. Uh, the rest of the government uh, faded into uh, their houses, faded into the uh, background, or probably put on their uh, old Taliban uh, uniforms, and uh, went back into the streets. The result of that was the evacuation was an extraordinary display of America's might. The Air Mobility Command did an extraordinary evacuation Sure. within, and- 20, within 48 hours after the uh, collapse of the Kabul government.
1: They deserve an enormous amount of credit for the airlift, uh, Congressman. I wonder, though, if the Committee on Armed Services is about to engage in a series of hearings on this. Is this, you know, we've heard comparisons to Benghazi from President Biden's critics. I don't necessarily want to go there, but we had hearings on Benghazi for years. This is going to preoccupy Congress for some time, is it not?
7: No, it should not. The lessons are all there for anyone that wants to uh, to read, anyone who wants to study the Shugard, which is the uh, Auditor General's reports. They're all there. Much has been written about this. Uh, we have some very, very serious issues that we must deal with going forward. Uh, one of them is uh, terrorism that has morphed and uh, metastasized uh, throughout the world. We have to deal with that. Uh, we have China. We have uh, uh, natural disasters of all kinds. We have famine. We have the Sahel of Africa. Uh, these are things, and we have Russia, and we have uh, an ongoing uh, nuclear arms race that's going to cost us another couple of trillion dollars in the next couple of decades. So there are a host of issues that are out there. These are today and tomorrow's issues. In Afghanistan, there are lessons to learn, very simple lessons that we should have learned uh, in uh, Vietnam and that is that you you cannot succeed when you have a civil war or, an, or a domestic insurgency. You can't do it. You have to be able, if you're going to enter that on one side or another of a civil war, be aware that it's not likely to turn out well. Uh, and so those lessons are there. They're down through the history. Yes, we should review them. But to spend weeks and months on the Benghazi type of hearing. Why bother? We'd have to call George W. Bush in, and we'd have to call in the, uh, the, his uh, uh, aides and assistants that set the policy uh, mm-hmm. to invade and Iraq- in Afghanistan and then pull out to invade Iraq. We'd have to go through um, uh, Obama's surge. Now, why in the world did he do a surge?
1: Right. Well, some think there should be hearings just on the on the withdrawal, Congressman, just on what has happened uh, since Donald Trump uh, first made that agreement with the Taliban. But, uh, of course, we'll wait to see how that goes. And we'd like to stay in touch with you on it. Uh, Congressman John Garamendi, many thanks for coming in, in a, on a very busy afternoon with a lot happening. We appreciate your being here. This is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew, and we are waiting to hear from the secretary of state. In a speech that has been rescheduled for the top of the hour, it's been moved several times, but that's been par for the course uh, lately here uh, with the administration and everything that's been happening in Afghanistan. Anthony Blinken will speak. Even if it follows this program, you'll hear him live here on Bloomberg Radio. Panels with us, Rick and Jeannie. And I wish we had something better to talk about, but this is why they are here for their insights and their instant analysis on what's happening around us. Jeanne sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis. Rick, you spent plenty of time, as we've already referred, in Afghanistan with Senator John McCain and others as his advisor. You've been watching all of this unfold now. Listening to what Congressman John Garamendi was just saying, I wonder if you think we're about to enter the, the year of hearings on all of this, if not the entire war, just what's happened in the past couple of months.
2: Well, you know, I think the first thing he would say is that uh, we are not ending uh, our longest war. We are uh, retreating from it. Uh, We are leaving in place the people that we opposed uh, 20 years ago. Uh, This is not a war that's going to end. This is a war that's going to become more difficult and different for us to fight uh, because we've just turned over an entire country to a jihadist government. I would say, too, the one thing John McCain used to say a lot Uh, about these charges, that we can't go into a country like this uh, and weather a uh, civil war, Uh, just look at South Korea. Uh, The Korean peninsula was divided by war. Uh, It was ours and our allies' efforts. Uh, Many more service members lost their lives to protect uh, the South uh, from the invasion of the North and the Chinese. And we left 25,000 troops there for the last 50 years, to preserve that peace. And as a result, we have a thriving democracy that has added millions of people to freedom and prosperity and a a government that we can depend upon as one of our chief allies in a region that is now being pressured by the Chinese. So I, I don't mean to differ with the Congressman, but he's just wrong with the idea that these kinds of activities, if done properly, can't work, the mistakes are ref, I mean, everybody knows them. And the idea that we're not going to explore those mistakes so we don't uh, let them occur again in the future, uh, I would be very surprised. If not this administration and if not this Congress, certainly future Congresses will spend time trying to learn from all of this.
1: You remember the Benghazi hearings, uh, certainly, Jeannie. Uh, some thought those were not deserved. What's deserved here?
0: You, you know, Congress's role is importantly to oversee their oversight role of the executive branch, and it's critical. And they did it with Benghazi probably too much in my mind, um, and they should do it here. That's certainly the case. Um, and, you know, one of the big questions I have as we think not only about what happened to get us into this situation, but what we're going to do going forward that I hope the president and the secretary of state address is, how are we going to fulfill Anthony Blinken's promise to continue to help Americans and our Afghan allies now that we don't have boots on the ground how are we going to do that is in my mind the big question mm-hmm. because I do agree with with uh, Rick we keep hearing today the war is over it is not over it has changed substantially and they need to guide us in terms of how it's changed and, and the other thing I I think that's really important to think about is you know we keep talking about this you know, issue of how we got into this situation. Those issues remain with us today. We got in there, we keep hearing, because of we were attacked on 9-11. How do we disrupt terrorism Today, if we are out of there, what are we going to do, which is the fear many people have, that we will be dragged right back in there in some capacity or another. So in my mind, those are the two big questions we have to think about as we go forward without now boots on the ground and without the intel that that would give us.
1: You know, there was a question about uh, getting our Afghan allies out of country in the White House briefing today, and I'm, I'm noticing a headline on the terminal now, U.N., as in United Nations, taking up call for continued safe passage. This is how Jen Saki talked about when Afghan allies will get out, knowing the airport is now basically closed or uncontrolled, as the FAA calls it. How long then will they have to wait?
6: Well, I will, I will tell you that there is ongoing, immediate, urgent, conversations happening at a very high level with international partners now. And we hope to have uh, more of an update on that in the coming days. There are different components of this, right? The airport operations, it may take some time to get that going. uh, But we are working through a range of mechanisms uh, so that there can be an ongoing efforts to uh, move people out who who are looking to depart Afghanistan.
1: So what do you make of that then, Jeannie? Is that a qualified answer to the question that you just asked?
0: It's a qualified answer. Certainly, they are trying to address it. But we are going to need more than that. Because the reality is the United States is going to have to lead that effort. I mean, let's just go back to the promise that that Anthony Blinken made. He said, that he had vowed that we will continue every day past August 31st to work to resettle the refugees around the world. That's likely, he said, to take years. Um, we will remove and uh, we will help any Americans there get out. We will help our allies. That safe passage promise, how do you fulfill that once we don't have boots on the ground is a big question. And the United States is going to have to take the lead on that. And of course, as our allies with are frustrated without how this withdrawal has been handled. The question is, do they trust us to take the lead on that?
1: Well, that's a big question. Rick, we just learned that President Biden will address the American people uh, on Afghanistan tomorrow afternoon. I don't know what kind of uh, choreography is happening behind closed doors right now and why we have not heard from the Secretary of State this whole hour. But that's going to be the address, right, that that puts the the final stamp on this from the administration what does the president need to say tomorrow
2: yeah i mean obviously the president's going to wrap his uh comments around the appreciation of the service personnel that gave the uh uh, their lives to uh, Afghanistan and, and trying to do the right thing, uh, whether they're the ones who uh, were killed by terrorist attack uh, this last week in, in the airport or, or the twenty almost 2,500 uh, who gave their lives during the uh, entire campaign in Afghanistan. Uh, uh, he is the great um, uh, compassionate uh, candidate and president, uh, so I, I suspect we'll hear about that. Uh, but the real question. Uh, that i i will be interested to see if he addresses is what we think uh our our role and our actions are going to be uh in the near term in the future of afghanistan uh how are we going to deal with the taliban uh what will be our role to ensure safe passage uh uh, for the afghanistanis and the americans and the other allies who uh, are still remaining in afghanistan and may want to leave Uh, so it, it it will be interesting to see how much detail that he has Uh, to give to the American people. But I am not surprised that uh, within this uh, period of time that we were talking on our show, uh, that the White House had made a decision to ensure that uh, Biden punctuates the American presence in Afghanistan for the last 20 years by addressing the nation. Rick and Jeannie, we thank you as ever. Our Bloomberg
1: Politics panel, Jeannie Sheehan-Zaino and Rick Davis. The president writes in the statement just released... The Taliban has made commitments on safe passage, and the world will hold them to their commitments. More to follow here on Bloomberg Radio. Stick around for the Secretary of State. You'll hear him live. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.